are great to come home to. Three weeks ago, I was in a village in the remote part of southern Nepal, and God led us to a hut beside a house where there was lying on the floor a 16-year-old boy named Sudeep. He'd been lying there for a month, waiting to die. His mom, impoverished and widowed, had placed him in that hut because she knew that according to Hindu custom, that if he died in the house, it would defile it. She'd have to tear it down, and she would lose the shelter for her remaining children and herself. He was skeletal. And a quick assessment by our doctors showed that he had probably TB, HIV, hepatitis, and pneumonia. But God had a plan. Pastor Dan, the missionary that we were working with, he heard God clearly say, this boy will live to my glory in this village. So he went in, he said, Sudeep, would you like to receive Jesus? And he said, yes. And right there on that filthy floor, a life was transposed from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus. We took him to a hospital for tests and then hopefully to start the treatments that would heal his ravaged body. And for the next five days, I got to watch and be a little bit of a part of this phenomenal outpouring, sacrificial love by a whole bunch of ordinary people, especially one young Nepali named Dines, who bathed him, fed him, carried him to the bathroom, changed his bedding after accidents, prayed with him, talked to him about Jesus, sat up with him through the night. Because you see in Nepal, doctors and nurses don't do that in hospitals. The family has to do it. And in this open ward, people were amazed that we as Christians would take this kind of time for a total stranger. It challenged me and it changed me to watch Nepali's and Americans loving this cast off and this forgotten boy. You were a part of this story too, every single one of you, because you gave so generously for our trip and we were able to pay part of his medical expenses. I can't even begin to say thank you. But things don't always go as we had hoped. And uh, four days after we got home, we learned that his body had not been strong enough to withstand the side effects of his first round of treatment. And Sudeep had left us and gone home to Jesus. And I wept. But then I was reminded that every promise God made regarding Sudeep had come completely true. That in that hut, Sudeep had received Jesus, and that is the most important thing possible. And that uh, Sudeep is indeed alive right now, living in the presence of Jesus, whole and healed and free. And that because God led us to that hut, he didn't die alone on a filthy floor. He died surrounded by love and the care of so many people. And that as his mother, an alcoholic, watched this outpouring of Jesus' love, she too now has received Jesus. And she has gone home, and she is bringing Sudeep's testimony and God's glory to that village. What an amazing thing. And finally, God said so clearly to me that being the hands and feet of Jesus is exactly what we are called to do, no matter the cost and no matter the outcome. I can't wait to hear how the story continues, and I hope that we will all get to be a little bit a part of it. And I pray that I will never forget 
that this is just one story out of so many in the world that God wants to use you and God wants to use me to touch. Mother Teresa said it this way, let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces we have received, and let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. I have to tell you that this experience, along with so many countless others that I don't have time to talk about, has kind of made me reevaluate how I live when I come home to America, evaluate what's really important, and I have to tell you, it's kind of ruined me for life in modern America. I find that I just don't have a lot of appetite anymore for the consumerism and the materialism and the self-indulgence that we live with and that this beautiful holiday season has become. And to be perfectly honest, I hope I ruin a few of you guys tonight. <laughs> Fair warning, you might think I'm a Scrooge or a Grinch, but maybe, just maybe, you're going to hear the heart of Jesus calling us all to deeper surrender and deeper sacrifice and deeper commitment to becoming more like him. Here's a verse, a verse that I cannot get out of my mind. It's from Psalm 119, and it says this, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. God, may I make this a prayer and may it change me today. Amen. Well, that is my kind of long and sort of intense introduction to the, my message for tonight. Unsuperheroes far, the women. Ordinary people doing simple things that make a difference. So let's turn to our text for tonight. It's in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. You know, this is a verse that usually just gets passed right over on our way to something that we think more is more important, and that is why these verses, to me, are so incredibly significant. Three women... Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. Who were they? We don't know very much about them. These verses say they were traveling with Jesus. They had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. They were giving out of their own means to support his ministry. In later references in scripture, we know that they were there at the burial and resurrection, the crucifixion, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We know that they were in the upper room, and we know that they were a part of the early church, but we know virtually nothing about them personally. And that is what I find exciting and challenging. Because if God can use these almost unknown women to serve him and accomplish his purposes, it gives me a whole lot of hope that he can use someone as unimportant and insignificant and unqualified as me and you. Let's look at them. Mary. Mary, it says she had been healed of seven demons. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but we can be sure of this. She was a woman with a past. We can imagine that she had been greatly tormented, that she had strayed far 
from God's best for her life, that she had been healed of much, forgiven of more. She had received grace and mercy and love and a new life. And out of that flowed her devotion and her service. God can use those of us that have a past. Amen? Those of us who have been so deeply wounded, who carry so much shame and so much baggage that we think that no one can ever love us or want us or forgive us or use us. But Jesus does. It says she was called Magdalene, and maybe that means that she was from the city of Magdala, which was on the shore of Galilee. But it also could mean this. In Hebrew, Migdal means tower or fortress, and I personally love this this idea because to me it means that Jesus took this enslaved and broken and worthless woman and turned her into a tower and a refuge of his strength because he's in the business of bringing beauty from garbage heaps, from bringing hope to the hopeless and bringing usefulness to the marginalized and the cast off. And I'm grateful for that tonight. Then there was Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. She and her husband held a prominent position, and it was probably a lucrative one as well. And she had a lot to lose, a lot to give up if she was going to follow Jesus. Yet she did. She gave up her life to live simply and to give what she had to further God's kingdom. Hers was a sacrificial life. Her name actually means God's gift. She had been given much by God, and she was giving it all back to God. I know a lot of people like that, people right here, people who give and give and give and give. I could tell you a hundred stories of the generosity of this church that's touched lives. One of you gave so that our doctor's costs could be completely paid for that doctor to take time off and go to, uh, with us on the medical team in Nepal. That is Joanna kind of giving. And isn't it great to know that those of us who have been born in the richest nation, in the richest time, in the history of the world, can be used for his purposes? To bless those who are in need? I know it's easy to just dismiss ourselves from the Joanna category and go, oh, wait, wait, wait. I am definitely not a person of means. But I really, really want us to see ourselves in her story because the richest person in America lives better than 90% of the people in the world. And that is a fact. And yes, I admit I say that to challenge you, but I also say it to fill you with hope that we have been born for such a time as this, that we ordinary people working together, each of us doing something small, can change the world. Let's not forget that God has prospered us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise, I believe, our standard of giving. And that makes me really excited. Then there's Susanna. We know nothing about her except for her name. She was apparently nobody important. Nobody special, doesn't list her title, her education, her income, nothing, except that her life had been touched by Jesus. And now she was giving back out of love and gratitude. And so probably more of us can see ourselves in Susanna. We think, I'm nobody special. I don't have any real gifts or talents. I, I often feel a little unnoticed or invisible or overlooked. Yet Jesus used Susanna. And that means he wants to use us. 
God doesn't need us to accomplish his will. He's God. But he chooses to partner with us to accomplish his purposes. And that is one of the great mysteries and privileges and responsibilities of the Christian life. How we live makes a difference. In fact, we really don't have a choice about whether we are going to influence the world. The choice we get to make is how. How are we going to influence the world? And Susanna chose well. Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, one with a past, one with a lot to lose, and one pretty insignificant, all healed by Jesus, all surrendered to Jesus, and all giving out of their means to further the kingdom. And so the same is true of us. We don't need to be wealthy or talented or experienced or or leaders or important. God just simply wants to use us. So how are we called to be like these women? I love how John Wesley said it. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Kind of covers it. John Wesley had evidently been reading his Bible. Passages like this one, Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, and then for time, I'm just going to skip to verse 12, which is my favorite. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, God says, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then these beautiful words in verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This passage is God's loud and clear call to us. In it, he pours out his heart and he tells us that as his people, we have work to do to stop injustice, to set people free, to share our food, to provide the poor with shelter, to clothe the naked, and to never turn away from those that are in need. This is God's heart, and he wants it to be ours too. Funny thing, I had read this passage and loved it for years, but I always thought that the your in verse 12, or the you in verse 12, was talking about God. But it's not. It's talking about us. In him, we are the ones who are called to rebuild the foundations of God's truth. We are the ones who get to repair broken walls and broken lives and wounded and broken people who've lost all hope. In him, we get to be the ones who restore streets with dwellings and lives that have become empty and deserted and destroyed. To rebuild physically and emotionally and spiritually. To bring people home to Jesus to restore their relationship as sons and daughters of God. Now that is a pretty amazing job description. We need to embrace this as our identity. We need to make our faith so much more than words. We need to turn it into action. God wants us to have a robust, passionate, sacrificial, giving kind of faith that will change every corner of our world. He's calling us to be unsuperheroes, ordinary people that make a difference. Like my friend John, last August, before I left for Haiti, he gave me a call. He said, hey, how you doing? Got all your needs covered? He often gives towards our teams and our projects. And I said, you know, John, really, I think everything's covered. Thank you. Won't you pray for us? Well, the next day, I got another call from John. 
And he said, you know what? God woke me up in the middle of the night and he said, John, there's a need that Tammy doesn't know anything about in Haiti and you're supposed to give towards it. So he did. And off I went to Haiti. It was kind of like a treasure hunt. <laughs> and one day I ended up in the home of my friend Colbert. Now Colbert used to be a witch doctor, a voodoo witch doctor. Yep, they're real. Yep, I know them. Yep, they look pretty much like you and me most of the time. And yes, they have great spiritual and social power in that country. And I had met him in March. I'd shared Jesus with him and and a few weeks later, some of the pastors there had followed up, and he had given his life to Jesus. It was an amazing and wonderful thing. So I went to visit him when I returned in August, and I found out that Colbert had not worked for four months. Because you see, witch doctors, they earn their living by doing things like performing ceremonies and creating potions and casting curses. So when he became a follower of Christ, he gave up his means of supporting his family. Wow, how many of us have been asked to sacrifice like that to follow Christ? I mean, really, you guys, we have it pretty easy. His secondary income, I found out, was as a carpenter, but he couldn't even find work as a carpenter because they kind of blacklisted him for leaving voodoo. So here it was, the unknown need that God had spoken to John about. And because John had listened to the Lord and given the mission that we work with is able to hire Colbert, and he's now a carpenter for them. And because John had listened here, we were to, able to be the answer to Colbert's prayers there. John is an unsuperhero, just like we all can be. And John has learned God's math that, that Jared was talking about last week. In uh, Proverbs, verse, chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, are these amazing words. One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but only comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now in Brazil, in Brazil we work with the homeless and the drug addicted and those in the sex trade. Four years ago, Greg Johnson, a lot of you guys know him, he came across a group of four prostitutes who always worked the same street corner. And uh, he jumped right in and said, how can I pray for you? And they said, oh, please pray that we can leave this line of work, that we can find something with dignity that will support our families and will allow our daughters to not feel like they have to follow in our footsteps. Greg's a simple guy. He said a simple prayer, and on he went, knowing that God's word never comes back void, but also knowing that the chances of him ever seeing these women again were pretty slim. Well, two years ago, I was walking that same street, came to that same corner, found the same group of women, started talking to them, and they said, hey, you're from Oregon? Do you remember this big, tall, lanky guy? I think his name was Greg, and I was like, yes, I know him, and they said, Notice something important. There are only three of us on this corner now. Because right after Greg prayed for us, one of us was able to find other work and get off the streets. They said, your God answers prayer. Pray for us again. So I did. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to get home and tell Greg, who was a big, tall, lanky puddle of tears, when I told him how his simple prayer had made a difference forever in the life of this woman. One man making a difference. Any of us can do it. Now this year, his wife, Patty, 
felt God calling her to go to Nepal. And she was, quite frankly, terrified. Because if you know Patty, you know she's this incredibly feminine and beautiful woman. And the thought of bugs and dirt and bad smells and dirty bathrooms and going days without showers just doesn't excite her at all. And those are all very real possibilities in Nepal. But if you know Patty, you also know that she's a woman of faith. And if God says to go, she's going to face her fears and she's going to go. And let me tell you, Patty was made for that place. She loved, she laughed, she prayed, she served, she hugged kids, she played games with them. She blessed women with her testimony and her counsel. She gave herself away extravagantly and with abandon. She did the triage for us at our medical clinics. And let me tell you that she gave those Nepalis an experience that they had never had before, which is having a medical practitioner that took time with them, learned their names, learned their stories, connected with them through compassion and a word and a touch. She prayed with them. She touched their lives in a way that was so far beyond medicine. She was the hands and feet of Jesus to every one of them in the middle of heat and chaos and pressing crowds and incredibly long days. She's one of my unsuperheroes. And each one of us can be just like her. All these people and so many others that I would tell you about if I just had hours, <laughs> they have learned this, that fire doesn't fall on empty altars. There has to be a sacrifice on the altar for the fire to fall. If you want the fire of God, you must become the fuel of God. And that's what they've done. They have become fuel for God's fire. They've learned that there is such a big difference between knowing the path and walking the path. When Jesus says, follow me, he's not talking about Twitter. <laughs> they have learned that we have been greatly loved in order that we can greatly love, that we have been given much so that we can greatly give, that we find great joy in great abandonment, and that only in dying to ourselves will we ever truly learn to live. So the question becomes, what's God calling you to do? Pray? Give? Send? Go? Each one is a choice that will transform you and will change the world. There are a couple of things that are coming up. One, we've been hearing about it for quite a few weeks. It's there on your seat. It's a mission trip to Nepal that's going to happen to uh, Haiti. That's going to happen during spring break. And there's an informational meeting about it this Thursday at 7 o'clock here at E. We'll be working with kids. We'll be working with youth and women, um, leaders serving in schools, serving at a medical clinic, doing practical things like construction. It's an amazing opportunity, better than any vacation or cruise that you could ever take. The toughest job you'll ever love, I promise. So I hope that I will see many of you there to find out more. And then secondly, you've got uh, a handout um, about our projects for this month, this co coming couple of months in this holiday Christmas season. And then I believe there's red envelopes. Are they, does everybody have those? Yes, cool. <laughs> um, this is the big deal for today. 
This is where everything is pointing towards, the chance to apply everything that I'm talking about, to be ordinary people who make a difference, to be like Mary and Joanna and Susanna, giving out of our own means to support the ministry of Jesus, to be rebuilders and repairers and restorers. Our FAR project this year is to help build an orphanage for Lari and for Cornerstone Ministries in Uganda. Our goal is big. It's $31,000, $1,000 for each of the 31 children in that orphanage. But you know what? Our God is a big God, and we have a lot to give.